Chapter 16 of Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume 8, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter 16 Arkansas Free. We have related elsewhere how, in those portions of insurrectionary states which came under the control of the Union armies, a beginning was made to supply the subverted federal authority and civil administration by appointing military governors, whose function was to restore the displaced civil authority and administration so far as it could be done under military supervision and consistently with the necessities of military operations. Under the protection and with the aid of this restored civil order, there grew up in several states a very important political reorganization, bringing about, within the federal military lines, a practical reconstruction of loyal state governments in harmony with the national federal government, and which resulted in an amendment of the constitutions of the states of Arkansas, Louisiana, and Tennessee to abolish slavery. Contemporaneously with this movement in the states named, Similar action was begun and carried to completion in the states of Maryland and Missouri, where no reconstruction was needed, and in its larger relations, these political phenomena form a great popular movement of loyalty and emancipation in the South, which it will be instructive to group together and trace out as a whole. The state of Arkansas went into rebellion with great reluctance. The secession ordinance was voted down at the first and regular session of the convention called to decide the question, and its final adoption was only effected after several months' delay, at a special session hastily called in the excitement and military frenzy created by the bombardment and capture of Fort Sumter. The Union feeling, thus silenced by revolutionary terrorism, was never destroyed but only held in repression under the military thraldom which attended the organization of rebel armies. Had it been possible for the Union armies to give Arkansas the same moral and military support they gave West Virginia, Kentucky, and Missouri, she would probably have remained as loyal as they did. But, unaided, she could not free herself from rebel domination. Her subjection to the Confederate states remained uncertain, in the spring of 1862, her governor openly threatened to secede from secession, and the despotic military rule, instituted by General Hindman, served to increase popular discontent with the administration of Jefferson Davis. But while Arkansas, during the early stages of the war, thus offered an easy and inviting conquest to Union occupation and rule, the course of military affairs thwarted its realization. After the victory of Pea Ridge, General Curtis, the Union commander, felt compelled to forego the opportunity of an immediate advance on Little Rock, and instead moved down the White River and established himself at Helena on the Mississippi, where he might aid either in the siege of Corinth, the capture of Vicksburg, or resume his contemplated march on Little Rock. But Halleck's faulty generalship postponed the opening of the Great River a whole year, and it was not until after Grant's masterly campaign and the capitulation of Pemberton on July 4, 1863, that an expedition to recover the state of Arkansas to Union control became feasible, though the hope and plan had long been nourished both at Washington and in the West. Vicksburg had no sooner fallen than Union manifestations began to come from leading citizens of Arkansas. Mr. E. W. Gant, 
one of the last representatives elected to the federal congress from that state came as a prisoner of war to washington and in a frank letter to president lincoln announced his determination to abandon secession in which he had taken an active part Quote, my only object he wrote is to induce the withdrawal of my state from its allies in rebellion and its re-entry into the federal union End quote. similar intimations came from other influential sources and in response president lincoln on july thirty first eighteen sixty three wrote as follows to general hurlbut then in command at memphis tennessee quote, I understand that Senator Sebastian of Arkansas thinks of offering to resume his place in the Senate. Of course, the Senate, and not I, would decide whether to admit or reject him. Still, I should feel great interest in the question. It may be so presented as to be one of the very greatest national importance, and it may be otherwise so presented as to be of no more than temporary personal consequence to him. The Emancipation Proclamation applies to Arkansas. I think it is valid in law, and will so be held by the courts. I think I shall not retract or repudiate it. Those who shall have taken actual freedom, I believe, can never be slaves, or quasi-slaves, again. For the rest, I believe some plan, substantially being gradual emancipation, would be better for both white and black. The Missouri plan, recently adopted, I do not object to on account of the time for ending the institution, but I am sorry the beginning should have been postponed for seven years, leaving all that time to agitate for the repeal of the whole thing. It should begin at once, giving at least the newborn a vested interest in freedom, which could not be taken away. If Senator Sebastian could come with something of this sort from Arkansas, I at least should take great interest in his case, and I believe a single individual will have scarcely done the world so great a service." See him if you can, and read this to him, but charge him not to make it public for the present. Sebastian, Gant, and others were probably aware of the President's friendly disposition, because the latter had, in the previous autumn, sent to the Western commanders a duplicate of his letter to General Butler, of October 14, 1862, advising the encouragement and protection of repentant secession communities in electing state officers or congressmen wherever they might desire it. The long-contemplated Union expedition into Arkansas was finally organized under command of General Frederick Steele, who, with a column of about 13,000 troops, marched from Helena to Little Rock, which had surrendered to him on the evening of September 10th, after a brisk cavalry engagement, and from which, as his principal military station, he was soon able to gain substantial control of a large part of the state. A strong Union movement almost immediately set in. Meetings were held, and resolutions of federal allegiance adopted. By December, eight regiments of Arkansas citizens had been formed for service in the federal army, and under the conditions and promises of the President's Amnesty and Reconstruction Proclamation of December 8, 1863, a notable political reaction and organization began. Specific and full details of this movement did not at once reach the Washington authorities, but in anticipation that it would occur, or could be stimulated to action, the President, on January 5, 1864, wrote General Steele, quote, I wish to afford the people of Arkansas an opportunity of taking the oath prescribed in the proclamation of December 8, 1863, preparatory to reorganizing a state government there. 
Accordingly, I send you by General Kimball some blank books and other blanks, the manner of using which will, in the main, be suggested by an inspection of them, and General Kimball will add some verbal explanations. Please make a trial of the matter immediately, at such points as you may think likely to give success. I suppose Helena and Little Rock are two of these. Detail any officer you may see fit to take charge of the subject at each point, and which officer, it may be assumed, will have authority to administer the oath. These books, of course, are intended to be permanent records. Report to me on the subject. End quote. The documents which the President forwarded were simply directions for administering the amnesty oath and blank books in which to keep a record of them. But it was about this time that Mr. Lincoln also formally approved the details of General Banks's plan for reorganizing the state government of Louisiana, and seeing no reason why a similar process should not be going on simultaneously in the adjoining state of Arkansas, he again wrote to General Steele on January 20th, repeating in detail the instructions to Banks. General Steele was directed, in virtue of his military authority, to order an election to take place on March 28, 1864. Quote, that it be assumed at that election, and thenceforward, that the Constitution and laws of the state, as before the rebellion, are in full force, except that the Constitution is so modified as to declare that there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except in the punishment of crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted that the General Assembly may make such provisions for their freed people as shall recognize and declare their permanent freedom, and provide for their education, and which may yet be construed as a temporary arrangement, suitable to their present condition as a laboring, landless, and homeless class. General Steele was further directed to make regulations and receive returns, and generally to cause the election to be conducted, quote, according to the said modified constitution and laws, end quote, and when 5,406 votes should have been cast, to ascertain and announce the result, to administer the oath to the persons appearing to have been elected, to support the constitution of the United States and modified constitution of the state of Arkansas, and declare them, quote, qualified and empowered to immediately enter upon the duties of the offices to which they shall have been respectively elected, end quote. Before these last instructions reached General Steele, information came to Mr. Lincoln that they were likely to conflict with a popular movement of Reconstruction already in progress in Arkansas. It appeared that since the occupation of Little Rock by the Union Army in the previous September, Union speeches, meetings, and resolutions in the several parts of the state held by federal arms had culminated in a formal delegate convention, which met at Little Rock on January 8, 1864. It was composed of 44 delegates, who claimed to represent 22 out of the 54 counties of the state. It was objected at the time that these delegates were elected at mass meetings by very meager votes, and that about half the counties they represented lay beyond the federal lines, while, on the other hand, it was admitted that neither were these counties occupied by Confederate forces, and that all the delegates were of respectable character and moved by an earnest patriotism. The convention frankly said in its published address, quote, We found after remaining at Little Rock about a week under a temporary organization that delegates were present from 22 counties elected by the people and that six other counties had held elections and that their representatives were looked for daily. 
we then organized the convention permanently and determined that while we could not properly claim to be the people of arkansas in convention assembled with full and final authority to adopt a constitution yet being the representatives by election of a considerable portion of the state and understanding as we believed the sentiment of nearly all our citizens who desire the immediate benefits of a government under the authority of the united states we also determined to present a constitution and plan of organization which if adopted by them becomes at once their act as effectually as if every county in the state had been represented in the convention End quote. on the twenty second of january the convention adopted an amended constitution which changed the former one in only a few but important particulars it declared the act of secession null and void it abolished slavery immediately and unconditionally and it wholly repudiated the confederate debt the convention ordained a provisional state government and appointed and inaugurated isaac murphy provisional governor and adopted a schedule providing for an election to be held on march fourteenth eighteen sixty four to adopt or reject the constitution and to elect a full list of state and county officers a state legislature and members of congress very soon after the convention had finished its work a registration of voters who had taken the amnesty oath was begun under orders of general steele february second eighteen sixty four about this time it became known in arkansas that the president's order for an election differed in date from the convention schedule and that confusion and delay were likely to result there was indeed some difference of sentiment and with the telegrams to the president asking him to conform to the convention plan a few leading citizens desired its postponement even to a later date than that fixed in the president's order all these mr lincoln answered by a request that the convention plan be followed Quote, my order to general steele he telegraphed about an election was made in ignorance of the action your convention had taken or would take a subsequent letter directs general steele to aid you on your own plan and not to thwart or hinder you show this to him and again when i fixed a plan for an election in arkansas i did it in ignorance that your convention was doing the same work since i learned the latter fact i have been constantly trying to yield my plan to them i have sent two letters to general steele and three or four dispatches to you and others saying that he general steele must be master but that it will probably be best for him to merely help the convention on its own plan some single mind must be master else there will be no agreement in anything and general steele commanding the military and being on the ground is the best man to be that master even now citizens are telegraphing me to postpone the election to a later day than either that fixed by the convention or by me this discord must be silenced these differences were soon happily reconciled by general steele who called together prominent citizens of conflicting views and who after consultation came to the unanimous agreement to adhere to the convention plan and date the general therefore issued his proclamation announcing that quote, the election will be held and the returns made in accordance with the schedule adopted by the convention no interference from any quarter will be allowed to prevent the free expression of the loyal men of the state on that day End quote. accordingly the election was held beginning on march fourteenth eighteen sixty four the polls being kept open during three days 
the total vote of 12,179 was cast for the Constitution and only 226 against it. For governor, Isaac Murphy, against whom there was no opposition candidate, received 12,430 votes cast by people in more than 40 counties. When we consider the condition of civil war amid which the people acted, and the radical change of policy proposed for their acceptance, the vote was not only a gratifying evidence of returning loyalty and national spirit, but a manifestation of political vigor and courage far beyond what could have been looked for. The vote was unexpectedly large, more than double what the president had required, but the enthusiasm, the faith in the national promise of protection, and the spirit of progress and unanimity manifested, gave a value and significance far in excess of its mere numerical proportion. It might, without undue exaggeration, be called the new political birth of Arkansas. The whole movement was carried out in the same manner to its full logical sequence. On April 11th, the new state government was inaugurated at Little Rock with imposing civic and military ceremonies. Four days afterwards, April 15th, both houses of the newly elected legislature met and organized. Members were present for more than 40 out of the 55 counties, each house having a quorum. The session was prolonged until the 1st of June. Among other business transacted by them, they enacted a law requiring that at succeeding elections, each voter should take an oath of allegiance and further swear that he had not voluntarily borne arms in aid of the rebellion after the day the new state government was inaugurated. At the same session, the legislature elected William M. Fishback and Elisha Baxter, United States Senators, to fill the vacancies of the previous incumbents who went into the rebellion. At the March election, three members of Congress had been chosen, T. M. Jacks in the 1st District by a vote of about 3,000, A. A. C. Rogers in the 2nd District by what appeared to be a respectable vote, though its extent could not be definitely ascertained, and J. M. Johnson in the 3rd District by a vote of over 4,000. The senators and representatives-elect went to Washington and presented their credentials, but by this time a contention had arisen in Congress over the question of reconstructing the states occupied by the federal forces, and the action of both houses was in substance a postponement of decision and a refusal for the present to admit them to their seats. We shall treat elsewhere the issue thus raised between Congress and the executive. Meanwhile, in order to define his own action, the president wrote as follows to General Steele, under date of June 29, 1864, quote, I understand that Congress declines to admit to seats the persons sent as senators and representatives from Arkansas. These persons apprehend that, in consequence, you may not support the new state government there as you otherwise would. My wish is that you give that government and the people there the same support and protection that you would if the members had been admitted, because in no event, nor in any view of the case, can this do any harm, while it will be the best you can do towards suppressing the rebellion. End, quote. End of chapter 16. Recording by Owen Cook in Pottawatomie Ceded Land.